here to party. We are here to party. Mm-mm-mm-mm. What song is that? We like, we like to party. We like to party. That was like Jock Jams. Was it? I have no idea. I think it was. I remember those CDs. Jock oh, Jams or. Totally. What was the CD with the, like, This Is Now or. Oh, Now uh, This Is Music. Now This Is Music. This Is Now. <laughs> <laughs> now but the yeah the only thing i remember was the now it was like now 32 now mm-hmm. and now 56 i was like how much music is coming out this is whenever cds were a thing and i was like yeah i'll pay 15 dollars for a cd yeah for hit music that's already playing on the radio anyways sure you know i remember the days whenever dating myself now i had a boom box and I had cassette tapes. And we would record the songs. On the radio. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. I made these rad mixtapes. Not Ooh. to brag, but like they were pretty good. Ooh. Yeah. Yep, what yep, did yep. you have on them? What would you what would you put I on would the add on the mixtapes, I would so I had the boom box that had the radio and the CD. Mm-hmm. And so I would take the I would take a part of the CD that had like an, a funny intro or like, um, I don't remember if I use this one, but you remember like um, Offspring had the Untergliebin, Glauten, Globen and like the, for, yes. uh, so I would take like some funny intro like that. I would record that and then stop it. And then I would um, record something else and then stop it. And then I'd record the song from the radio. Oh my gosh. Genius. And so I made these like funny, fun mixtapes. I used to do that with CDs too. I that's we how were I burning CDs. Burning those CDs. Get that big old mm-hmm. case. Let me I'll make you a I'll burn you a CD. I'll burn you a CD. The very first burn CD I ever received was Chronic 2000. Hmm. 2001. Oh, 2001. Is it 2001? No, I thought it was 2000. Am I right? Or am I not? Mm-hmm. Let me see. Yeah, it's 2001. Oh. Really? You're talking about Dr. Dre, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, 2001. Oh, dang it. Well, that's the one that I received. <laughs> 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 I apparently can't remember if it's 2000 or 2001, but. Because you got it burned for you. You didn't get the cover. That's why. You yeah, didn't get the somebody, cover art. Somebody scrawled it, you know, all funky, but. <laughs> You know, those are the days growing up in Atlanta. You get all the hot Lana. Hot Lana. Mm-hmm. I can't picture you in Atlanta. It was um I was a little out of place. Mm. The only time I felt like I fit in was in hip hop class. Yeah. Whenever I was dancing. I felt like dance community, I just fit right in. And then specifically hip hop. I think it was also because I had a lot of pent up anger that I didn't realize was there. <laughs> so it was like dance was this opportunity just to like express, like it, it was that yeah. opportunity to actually get it out of my body. And I had no clue that's what I was doing. I just knew I was like, oh, this is, yep, this is movement. really cool. I can, I just, I don't know, something clicked and it was very apparent that was my thing. You know, it was, yeah. it was, there, there was no doubt. In my mind, that was what I was supposed to do for the rest of my life. There's just absolutely no doubt. And I worked my butt off and got on teams and then got trained by one of Uxher's, Uxher, Usher's back. I love Uxher. Usher is so great. Let's see, this is my pregnancy brain showing. 
Uh, sure. I, I can remember, I can recall facts and, you know, whatever from years ago, but can't pronounce Usher's name correctly. Uh, yeah, I was trained by one of his backup dancers. She took me under her wing and started featuring me in classes and the rest was history. We like to party. <laughs> and then that kind of music is also out. And then you yeah. dance to this is now 57. <laughs> I know. I can't even remember whenever that first one came out. That'd be fun to look up. That'd be really fun to look up. I, I still remember whatever. It's, this is music. Now, oh, music. now that's what I call music. Oh, now that's, <laughs> now that's, oh my God, I can't spell what I call music. Let's see. Now that's what I call music.com. Let's see. Let's see. They have a dot com. Oh, there's a dot okay. com. So there's 76 of them. Ooh. Whoa. Okay, hang on. There's 76 of them. Wow, are they still? They're still Universal Music Group. Okay, let's see. Shop. Let's see what number one. Oh, no. Oh, my God. They sell sweatshirts. I mean, seriously. Sweatshirts. <laughs> we should get one. What I call music year one. I'm so interested. You ready? Oh, now that's what I call music. It was that's It was just now that's what I call music. Okay, and these October, are the hits. October twenty seventh, nineteen ninety eight. You ready? Okay, so I was a sophomore in high school. I was I'm ready. A lot younger than that. Um. Okay, together again, Janet Jackson. As long as you love me, Backstreet Boys. The way, Fastball, Flagpole, Sitta, Harvey Danger. Say you'll be there, Spice Girls. Great great song all my life casey and jojo never ever all saints if you could only see tonic mbop hansen yes (laughs) zoot suit riot cherry pop and daddies oh my god shorty you're playing with my mind imagine spelled i-m-a-j-i-n anytime brian mcknight barbie girl aqua okay karma police radiohead I will buy you a new life, Everclear, Fly Away, Lenny Kravitz, and Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground. Okay, so I've choreographed a dance to five of those during that time. Obviously, Mbop was one of them, right? Was not. (laughs) But guess what was? It was Barbie Girl. Of course. (laughs) I actually choreographed it. It was one of our our neighbors um, that heard their, like, I think she must have been like 10 at the time was having a birthday party. And she thought that me and our, our other neighbor who was the same age were like the coolest people on the block, which let me just say, spoiler alert. I was definitely not cool in high school. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, no, it wasn't cool to be like the creative chick in high school. Um, So, but she thought we were. And so she had asked us to choreograph a dance and like teach it at her birthday party. So that was Barbie girl because it was age appropriate. Uh, but Fly Away was my first, what was it? When I was doing competition dance, you we did competition dance as a team. And so we did like jazz and hip hop and palm and all this fun stuff. And then you could also enter while you're at the competition, you could enter a solo. And so my first solo was to Fly Away. Oh, really? Yep. I want to see. Very proud of it. 
Yeah, so we didn't have cell phones at that time. <laughs> we did, but we didn't have we had cell phones. I think I had a flip phone, but you know, it was you know, not you're not recording videos and stuff. So no. unless one of the dance moms has a beautiful VHS of that somewhere, I can ask. But you know, I I haven't seen one of it, so it probably doesn't exist, unfortunately. So sad. I know. So much of life is documented now. Like all my, all my theater day, college, my all my theater days. I'm like, I wish I had freaking videos of that. I don't. We did big musicals. We did Chicago. We did Fiddler on the Roof. We did Oklahoma. We had some really big plays and stuff and nothing. I have no evidence. I have too much evidence. <laughs> I'm Wait. glad that there were no <laughs> there were no camera phones. I was gonna say camera phones still weren't a thing when you were like in oh, your no, no. Okay. No. I, I mean and I well. and in my heyday I took a lot of photos. Um and I like was as obsessed with you know photography as I am now and and um I made like all these photo books. Like I have some gnarly pictures, but I don't even have hold a candle to like what it would have been had there been video uh, evidence. Oh God, that would have been, I would have, that would have been really. That is something that when, when uh, my friends and I were all teaching dance and, you know, coaching these middle school to high school agers, that's something that we told them. We were like, you know, we didn't have to deal with this yeah. whenever we yeah. were your age, but this is real. Oh Yeah. People do not delete videos off of their phone. You yep. know, it's very rare. And a you do Snapchat, not want... Snapchat is not, you know, it's funny. Snapchat's supposed to disappear, but, you know, it it's created not. for that, you know, but it's it's not. It's forever. It's it's a much harder way to, in my opinion, to grow up um, having that level of documentation of everything you do. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. a lot of responsibility at a really young age whenever you're not supposed to be thinking responsibility to that degree right like that's the time you're supposed to be doing dumb stuff and yeah that level of responsibility is is that's pretty gnarly for for young kids but that's that's the reality well that'll be a fun conversation that you get to have with your twins and now I get to have with my daughter mm -hmm. one day Yep. Oh man, heart just started racing right there. <laughs> like, oh, um, I get to be a part of this too. Uh, yeah, terrifying. Well, no, they'll make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even think about it. I'm just, I can, all I can think about is how do I get through today. <laughs> Like, I'd have to one day at a time. I know. Like, there's so many like sobriety and recovery things I've learned, and I'm like, this makes so much sense for everyday life. <laughs> for every, it's true. It really does. I mean, well, if you think about it, we use it. That's what we're using it for. We're using it for everyday life. We're not using it for drinking related things. It's actually right. for everyday life. So it it works under any type of duress. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> pregnancy included, probably pregnancy numero uno. Oh my God. So when I was like seven, eight weeks, we had taken a trip to Montana. This, this trip was not planned, you know, when, when like this is planned pre-pregnancy or pre us finding out we were pregnant. And so my, um, 
sorry if this is graphic, but my projectile vomiting started right before we left on the trip. And Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, this is unexpected and lots of fun. So I'm having all these visions dancing in my head of like me projectile vomiting while driving because we're driving up to Montana. We we drove, you know, however many miles that is, 1800 and back. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be okay. So we had like bags and Mm -hmm. all this stuff ready. And I legit used one day at a time and so many of the things that I learned from like sitting in A and like hearing things on the podcast and things we have at Lion Rock and I'm like, oh my gosh, this works. And I would just tell myself like, you just have to get through this minute because I was so sick. Oh, I was so sick when we got there and driving and everything. And I'd be like, you, you're, you'll be fine. You'll be fine in one minute. You'll be fine in one minute. Just, just last the minute. And then that minute would pass and I'd be like, okay, all right, I made it. And then I'd have like another, you know, bad, you know, night. I'd be like, I just have to make it through the night. That's it. I I don't even think about tomorrow. I just have to make it through the night. I can make it. I can take one bite of something and, oh, dear God. Oh, yeah. It's like a, it's like a six week detox. This is not for the faint of heart. I really have to say all my women, all my moms out there, oh, I cannot even think about doing this another time. This is. Mm-hmm. So I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I really am. I wouldn't take anything back. I would go through all this again for her. I really would. I And I understand that mentality now before I was like, you're crazy. And now I'm like, okay, I get that because you love this little being so much already. But I can't think of going through it again. <laughs> like, yeah, just don't, just don't, just don't do that to yourself. Don't even think about it. Oh my gosh. I was like, this is why I want to adopt dogs. <laughs> yes. You're yeah. not nauseous. You know, you just it's get the dog. Much, much less painful to adopt a dog. Oh my dear God. You really, they really, these kids, they really make you earn it. <laughs> they really do. I know. I'm like, wow. But see, then you have people like my mother who had three children and who never dealt with this. So I'm like, where's my mom? My mom, like, she said she felt great during pregnancy. That was my sister-in-law too and my mom. And I was like, where, okay, why, how is this happening? Both my younger sisters have kids already and they both were very ill during pregnancy. My middle sister is a, like just months away from having a little girl as well. So we're going to have little girls like two months from Aww. each other. It'll be so much fun. I know she's due in March. I'm due in May. So it's going to be really cool. But she's in the middle of like another pregnancy and we just, oh man, she's not happy. It's you know, baby's fine, but, but she's dealt with a lot, especially this pregnancy. And she's like, why the hell did I do this? Why the, it's more like, why the F did I do this? And Mm -hmm. (laughs) we've exchanged lots of, you know, fun things. And then we get to encourage each other and make each other laugh. But, oh man, I salute all the moms out there. This is. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where like, it was funny. I had a, I was having a conversation with my sister briefly about this or it's just like sometimes some of the most rewarding things are some of the most difficult things you go through or some of the most challenging you know I mean it is you know if you want to if you want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro you know you're 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 gonna bitch the whole way up it you know it's gonna be hard it's gonna be trying mentally physically you know there's a lot of things in life and and frankly probably my guess is is probably the most rewarding things in life you work really, really hard for. And there's some of that work hard is really unpleasant. 
And, and some of those moments are amazing and some of them are really bad. And then you look back and you laugh and that makes it worth it. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, some it's, I mean, it's a lot like, you know, the recovery stuff, like you were saying, it applies because it applies because it's just about like, sometimes you got to endure and, and, and grit and, and, be resilient to get to the next place to make that um that that journey really rewarding. Yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it. And that's true because I can look back and see the things that have meant the most to me in my life. Mm-hmm. My marriage, you know, my dogs, you know, all the training that has to go into dogs and even just dance, competition dance. We won, you know, third place in in the world in this huge competition last year. It's the competition that you, you know you work for. And those that was hard. That was very, very, very hard. Those were, you know, eight hour practice days we would practice. I mean, we didn't even practice as much as we could have, to be honest. Our coach was really great about trying to help us balance our lives because she knows we all work because we're all, we're an adult team and you know, I was 36 competing on that. It's not easy to balance that. And you're tired because you're, you know, an old girl <laughs> and dancing with some teenagers. Um, I think the youngest we had on our team was 16. So yeah, it was a 20 year age gap between me and the youngest. And man, I mean, we would throw up some nights because it was just, it was difficult. It was just difficult to push yourself to the limit and train and you're tired, you're hungry, you're exhausted, you're not hungry. You've got work the next morning and practice is ending super late. And, you know, you, I, I, you know, I remember there'd be times where I'd be like, okay, cool. I only have till five because I got to go. I've got practice, you know, practice is 30 minutes away from me. So like, that's my hard stop. And then I'd have to finish and finish work. And how long was your, how long was your dance when you actually did it? Oh my God. Two minutes and 15 seconds. That's it. So you flew. I, so this is the thing, like some, what I think is interesting is like sometimes all of the things that go into it, right. Cause like a performance is a perfect example. And that performance in particular, you did one time as opposed to a play where that you put on many times, right. You did one time, two minutes and 15 seconds. And Yet all those hours, all the work that you put into it and the struggle makes that, makes it more, you know, somehow more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think that there's so many things in life that are like that and and just learning how to push through it. You know, when we started Lion Rock, um, we started Lion Rock the same year that Uber started, you know, and um, crazy. and I watched them, you know, obviously shoot by and I watched a lot of other companies shoot by. And I remember thinking like in year two, why can't we, why aren't we that like that, you know, what, you know, wham, wham, um, banging on my high chair about like, why, why isn't that us? And, you know, I look back and, and, uh, Peter and Ian and I were, were finding old videos and old things. And I was, I was showing, them. A group of therapists, the entire emissions department. I was showing them this video, and it was a spreadsheet, and it was a video, a tutorial video that I made for like one employee, and <laughs> going through this spreadsheet, and I'm like, download as a PDF, and um, <laughs> and you know, but that I don't know some of that stuff. I'm like, that may I feel like without that, 
it, it wouldn't have been as meaningful. I would have moved on to, you know, it would have been like, okay, cool. We, you know, we did really well. And yeah. putting in the amount of time that you put in and, and there's something about, um, something about endurance that is very rewarding. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the things that are most rewarding in life require endurance. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And it's so cool that we're talking about this because, you know, it, it, I can see how it's so prevalent to recovery and so prevalent to, you know, even just walking through whether you're in substance abuse recovery or, you know, you're listening to the podcast, there's a good chance that you may, may not have struggled with substance abuse. You may have struggled with something else that we've featured on the podcast, you know, and you're in recovery from something, um, everyone, as we say, everybody's in recovery from something or should, or you should be, you know, I just think it's really cool that we're talking about this because every once in a while, it's just, it's great to go back to square one or foundations as I like to call them, or as we call them in dance, go back to your foundations, go back to your roots, go back to one-on-one. We say back to basics, back to basics, just remind yourself, you know, cause it, it is hard, you know, their life's especially now, you know, pandemic life and, Right. And, and, you know, I mean, I have, I have been dealing with low grade, uh, feelings of depression and, and, and anxiety. And I think, I do not think I'm alone in that. I think the world yeah. is struggling. Like we're all struggling, you know, mental health wise and, um, with the, you know, the new wave of lockdowns and the new wave, you know, just, it, and it really doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. It's all stressful. Like, yeah, whether you're for lockdowns, against lockdowns, you know, whatever you believe at this moment in time, it was one of the interesting things about the uh, election was I could just say, oh, you know, oh my god, I'm so stressed about the election, and it really didn't matter what side I was, you know, who mm-hmm. you were voting for, or yeah. I could say this, you know, all everything that's going on is so ridiculous, and like everybody believed that no matter what was going on. So right. I just think there's a lot of um, distress in, uh, on the planet right now. And, uh, we all feel that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think this is, this is not a paid advertisement, but just for people to know that you can stay connected. And since the second wave of lockdown has, you know, come through for a lot of different areas, um, just as a reminder, lionrock.life does have online support groups and meetings that are all completely for free, completely online. There's 12-step, there's workshops, there's all different kinds. And you can find that by going to lionrock.life and there, clicking meetings. The, and the meetings aren't just uh, – the meetings are not just for people who are in – recovery like in you know if you're for you know anyone who's struggling can go to um check out a community meeting they're called mm-hmm. um and you don't have to be sober or any of that so definitely right. worth checking out if you're looking for support it's absolutely phenomenal and then we also have uh you know ACA which is adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families meetings i think those are fridays at 9 a.m. pacific aa alanon there's an LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. I, I always mess up saying it, and I really don't mean to. LGBTQIA plus, I think. I'll have to check. I apologize if anybody's listening and I, I said that wrong, but we have that. That's a support meeting. That's a community support meeting as well. Just try a meeting if you need if you need any sort of support. Just come on in. 
and the uh, the marathon meetings. So they're doing they did marathon meetings for Thanksgiving, and they're putting on ah. marathon meetings for um for Christmas. And hold on, let me actually let me pull it up. I can tell you because I'm working on the website. Oh yeah, okay. So you can <laughs> so there you go. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, the 24th, Christmas Day, 25th, and then New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, which that information will be up a little bit closer to then, but Christmas Eve is up there. Christmas Day is being finalized, but what it's called is the Holiday Fellowship Marathon. It will replace all of our regular meetings for the day, and it will be one link that you can join any time during the day, and there are amazing things happening all day long, ongoing. So they have, okay, so they have meditation, speaker meeting on video, coffee and recovery fellowship with Judy, crafts, hot chocolate, and outdoor fellowship. Again, all online, adult coloring, (laughs) recovery fellowship, Christmas caroling. uh, That'll be so much fun. Cooking. um, Movie. changing, but that's okay. Okay. Movie. Uh, movie night, card making, and trivia. So that and the Christmas schedule is TBD. So there's going to be so much going on. So any and anyone and everyone is welcome. Whatever. And at any time, you can hop in at any time. Yep. We just have the schedule up there so that you know if you want to join by a certain time or you really don't want to miss out on something or you you just know what you're hopping into. Over 400 people joined for our Thanksgiving Day Holiday Fellowship Marathon. It was so much fun. We got such great feedback. Didn't a bunch of people – Weren't there a whole bunch of people watching a football game together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We uh, watched the Cowboys awesome. game. So yeah, I call out the Cowboys game because I've been a fan since I was six. No haters. No haters. No emails. I don't want to hear I just it. I think they're cheerleaders. Oh, I know. I wanted to be a Cowboys cheerleader. You know what my dad told me? What? We're not allowed. <laughs> I was waiting for something. I was strong. like, wait, but don't you watch them, dad? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Conversation. He's, like, he's like, yes. And that's why you're not allowed. Exactly. He's that's exactly why. And I was like, I don't understand. Now I'm like, oh, oh, now I get it. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So that's really cool. Um, the marathon. This was. This is not meant. This was. <laughs> I don't know. We we did not mean to go here. Um, uh, the other thing, which I am buying a bunch of personally, um, the lionrock.life shop. We have Lion's Share Organic Coffee and 100% of the profits fund substance abuse treatment for people who cannot afford it. So, Mm -hmm. and there's a bunch of, there's a decaf, there's a dark blend, and there's a Colombian blend, and um, there's a subscription option, and they make wonderful, wonderful Christmas gifts. So, if you are buying, um, and it's, 100% of the profits go to fund, um, to help someone pay for their, their, uh, treatment. So Mm -hmm. be a part of the giving back lion share coffee. Here's the thing. We partnered with common room roasters, which is an incredibly high end, uh, coffee roasting company, common room roasters. You can look them up. And on each bag, it says the date that the coffee was roasted. It has, Mm -hmm. they, um, partner with, uh, very sustainable, organic 
um, coffee farms. They, the, one of the uh, guys that works for them, he goes down to all the farms and meets them. And so it's, it's, they're, they're, they are aficionados. They are, you know, serious, serious about their coffee. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah. Really, really awesome. Common room roasters. So you're going to get a freshly roasted bag whenever you order. Yeah. I'll have that date on it. Have a date. Uh, Are we, do we have any episodes that we're talking about? People are like, why have, if you've made it this far (laughs) without, you know, that 15 second fast forward, God (laughs) bless you. I know, right? True fans, true fans. Mm -hmm. We do have episodes that we're talking about fans only. That means something (laughs) different, right? Yes. (laughs) You're not getting any pictures. It's just literally fans. (laughs) Um, I think we are talking about episodes 85 and 86, which is Danielle Gregorich and Kevin Barheit. Awesome episodes. Uh, we say that with everybody, but really, truly awesome episodes. Yeah, um, I I had I had a lot of fun doing both episodes. Um, Danielle is super funny, and um, it was really we had a good flow going. Um, and I loved, you know, her honesty was really refreshing and authentic. You know, I love the authenticity of both um, Kevin and Danielle. And Danielle's just her um, the level of her. She really described alcoholic thinking uh mm-hmm. in depth about you know how one makes the decisions she talked about like um you know things like walking through the birth of her first child and like what she was thinking and you know some of the imposter syndrome that happens uh that can happen and she talked about you know just f- what it felt like as she was making certain decisions to to drink instead of you know ma- moving towards that and what it's like to be in that like <laughs> that washing machine cycle of of alcoholism and i really you know the reason that i wanted to interview her um was she had this really unique experience where she had a stroke and um, and couldn't speak or write. And, and this was, um, you know, after she was sober and the ability, I think what's, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but the, (laughs) the gift in some ways of, I mean, it's a gift because she, she, um, it's a gift because she recovered. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, but the gift of that time of only being able to listen, um, you know, and she and I talked about it, like for especially for her, who's super opinionated, big personality, the 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 you know, and whatever you want to call it, universe, whatever you know, bad luck, whatever you want to call it, just having that opportunity in, of being silenced and being forced to listen to everything around you, and being listening to the message, and you know, if you have a thought or you want to say something, having to write, you know, learning to write it or or take time with each word, there's something very almost spiritual about that mm-hmm. because you have to be so much more thoughtful about everything. And you have to, um, there's no, none of the ego stuff, like it, it just, it just removed it. 
it's yeah. gone. I mean, there's no, you know, you can't speak, you can't, you know, write your name, any of that. And so that to me was just a really fascinating piece of her recovery story and then her fight to restore her, you know, abilities. And now she's, she's back to, you know, normal, I guess. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think that's just a, a, also a, uh, you know, representation of her fight to, you know, get back to where she wanted to be in life in general. Yeah, absolutely. I've watched somebody go through a stroke and, Oh man, it is, it is definitely, as I'm sure many, many of our listeners have, and it's no small thing to go through. And, um, that person that I, that I'm speaking of still actually has not fully recovered and it's been a year and a half, I think is still having some issues with her right hand. Um, Danielle could not talk. Um, I mean, had just lost, I don't know how much of her function she'd lost. I think she she had to kind of sit there. She was able to write, um, but yeah, lost her speech completely. And and the fact that it completely came back and she learned her words again. And wow, I mean, that absolutely blew me away. But I, I agree with you. I think it's that that fight to come back, that fight to kind of like what we were talking about earlier, which is like, yeah. how much more do you value the ability to speak and the mm-hmm. ability to, you know, the ability to quickly respond and, and when you've had, when you've had that taken away from you, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I was put in, um, these, I was put in these, uh, you know, they were like juvenile lockdowns. Right. And, you know, they are, it is effectively, you know, a, a nicer jail. Um, you can't leave. They take all your stuff. You know, there's, nowhere to go no one's gonna you know this whole thing and and it's interesting I was thinking about it the other day how that I forget what context I was thinking about it I was I was I but I remember I was by myself thinking about how differently I see and I believe people who've had the experience of their physical rights or 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 rights independence their 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 mobility when you've had that taken taken away when you've truly lived in a in a world where you're not in control of those things i really do think it changes you and and that fight to get back to again that fight to get back to where you are that journey along the way is the is the piece that makes it meaningful and 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 really separates the people who seem to recover they they make some they create they create or find some meaning in it in that journey back right something else that um that danielle talked about which i i thought was really interesting and we've talked about a lot on the podcast but it's been kind of scattered and i'd love to get your insight a little bit more about it was secrets and keeping the secrets of the parent and uh, although i've never gone through substance abuse struggles or recovery, I so related to that. And I started thinking about, well, okay, so what, what's the true detriment? You know, what, what are, what are A basically the, the things that go into place that basically kickstart all these other issues in a child? And Danielle talked about, you know, she's, she's, uh, her mom's an alcoholic mm-hmm. and, 
uh, so her mom didn't live her recovery out loud. Um, meaning her mom was ashamed to be in recovery. The, the, I don't know if she was ashamed to be in recovery. She was ashamed to be an alcoholic. She was ashamed that she had that issue. And so the kids knew of this issue, knew that she was in recovery, knew what that meant. Um, but they were never allowed to talk about it. They were never allowed to talk about how it made them feel or even disclose it. And apparently there were other secrets of of her mom's that she also had to kind of carry with her. And, and she talked about that and talked about how she just felt like essentially she was stuffing it all inside. And she didn't realize how much that affected her and how she carried shame about all these other people had these issues that you could really see. So if someone was drinking or someone was struggling there was something you could point to being like, oh, well, this trauma happened to them. So that makes sense. But you just need to pull yourself together and, you know, you just need to suck it up and and whatever else. And she's sitting here feeling all this shame, like, my God, why can't I pull it together? Why can't, why can't I? But she felt like the secrets were literally making her ill, literally making her sick. So I'd love to just hear more about that from your standpoint. Yeah. It's funny that you brought that up. So the thing I remember about that, I don't remember the some of the details you're describing, but what I remember about that is she said, Danielle said, um, I had nothing like I had a really great childhood. I had nothing like she she referenced kind of the the like I I had a normal home. There wasn't dysfunction. It was good, mm-hmm. right? I had a normal childhood. I had no good reason to be an alcoholic. Is kind of what I the the overarching theme and. Then she talked about what it was. This is why I always ask people, like, what were your parents like? What was it like? Because people saying, like, I had a great childhood. Everything was good. And then you ask them about it. And, you know, you you and I have laughed about this. You ask them about it and they start telling you this. And you're like, what are you talking about? You were left in a, you know, in a bar when you were 10, you know. Right. Like, no, (laughs) not normal. Um, Right. And that was kind of what I heard with Danielle when she was like, she really downplayed. She was like, I grew up in this affluent area and like everything was fine, except it wasn't. Her mom was an alcoholic and she was dragged to the hospital, I think, once or twice. And there were, you know, struggles with staying sober and there were, you know, secrets and things, you know. So I my reaction to that was, oh, yeah, there was a lot of trauma that went on when you're mm-hmm. a kid, but you don't see it that way because it doesn't look like you know some massive incident in particular that 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 to you meets the criteria but from for other people that would meet the, that does meet the criteria you know there's a saying that says secret keep secrets keep you sick right you're as sick as your secrets and uh there's something really insidious about you know having someone else's secret especially a parent because it now now someone else's secrets are keeping you sick. You don't know whether it's your secret or theirs. So it's not even yours to share, right? It's someone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't understand, likely, a lot of the time. Uh, you don't have the full perspective on on what it is, what's going on. And uh that that weight is huge. And there's there's a um Betty Ford has a a program for families and children and specifically it has a children's program, you know, children of alcoholics who come and they, they, I think they stay there for a couple of days. I don't remember exactly. Maybe it's outpatient and they come in. Anyway, one of the things that they, they do, and I remember being told this long time ago is they have the kids carry around a small 
backpack full of rocks, you know, I mean, not huge, but a small backpack. And at, at some point, you know, they do a lot of different, um, therapies and different things, but at some point they have the kids, um, take the backpack off and take, put down the rocks and they, they talk about like, this was never yours to carry. This was never your burden to carry. And wow. you, can, you can take that burden off. You can put those rocks, you can, you know, you can take this baggage that you were handed and you put on because you were a kid and that's what you, you do, but you didn't know what it was. You didn't know what to do with it. It served you no purpose and yeah. it, and it held you down. It weighed you down and you get to take that off. And, and, and they talk about the skills and, and work through how to do that. And, and, and then obviously symbolically do that. And that has always, that, that visual for me has always stuck in my mind about taking off, you know, putting down the sack of rocks that someone else handed you. And it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, I think all, mm -hmm. all of us have instances we can think about where, you know, we took on other things. We took on things that happened in our parents' lives. And I think it's very, you know, it's very difficult not to. But um, when a parent puts you in that position, uh, yeah, it can, it can be very confusing and have uh, emotional ramifications. Wow. That's great insight. I love, I love the, the backpack exercise. That's so that's so true. I specifically remember, and this is a little bit different, but I remember this definitely as I was listening to Danielle popped out for me and, and set the tone for like how to act as, essentially and how we were expected to act in the family. My family relationship was horrendous behind, behind doors. It was chaotic. My parents had a terrible, terrible relationship. They never should have gotten married in the first place. Literally the worst pair ever, um, just personality wise. And we were going to, I think I was nine. My sister must've been three. I can't remember something around there. We were going to a church, like, like one, like one of their like Bible study groups, parties or something like that. So, you know, it's church people. So we got to act especially good. And so we're driving on the way and my, my dad had picked a fight with my mom or the other way around me. Again, they were just terrible together. So um, they were screaming. I mean, my dad would scream at my mom. My mom would cry and act like the victim and like, oh, this is so bad and poor me. And meanwhile, me and my sister are like not being guarded, shielded, anything. You're hearing our parents just spew at each other, say all these horrible things. We pull up to the house and I'm sitting here thinking like logically, like we got to pull our stuff together. Like we're about to walk into somebody's house. Like how, like what's, I'm like, what's going to happen when we walk right. inside, you know, we're going to a party. These are our friends. And what are we going to do? Keep screaming, walking in. Like I'm, I'm logically kind of thinking this out, like guys, like we got to calm down, you know? And so I actually said something. I was like, Hey guys, I don't think it's a good idea that we go inside. I think everybody's too upset. So of course, both of them turn around, chew me, you know, a new one. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't know what you're talking about. You shut up back there. And I was like, well, I mean, you guys are both idiots. So whatever, you know, it's fine. My sister's, I don't know what she's doing. And my, I specifically remember they're still fighting. My mom is like streak crying, right? Her makeup's gone. And my dad looks at my mom and he goes, well, see, we have to fucking pull ourselves together and act like everything's okay now. And I remember thinking, there's no way, there's no way this is going to happen. Like that can't happen. No, I like, look at my mom. She's done. 
That's exactly what happened. So 10 minutes later, my mom mm -hmm. has cleaned herself up. They turn and coach me and my sister. Now remember, we're going to smile and we're not going to say anything about what happened in the car. You are not allowed to say anything. You need to smile and say thank you to Mr. and Mrs. Or, whoops, Mr. and Mrs. whoever, you know, what tell them thank you for having us over. And I'm sitting here thinking like, are they going to want us to have us over? You know, this is, this is a, this is a mess. So what do we do? We walk up to the, to the door. They open the door. My dad turns into somebody brand new, you know, like fresh and so clean, clean. My <laughs> mom is smiling from ear to ear and I am dumbfounded. I'm not smiling. I'm, I'm shell shocked from it. I'm like, th this was like a monumental blow up, nothing new, but it was, yeah. It's it's traumatizing when that happens in the car. And I think my sister wanted to say something and my mom grabbed her and you know, like my, my sister would always say things like, Mommy and daddy yelled in the car, you know, like she, <laughs> she That's totally just whatever, whatever just happened, so like good. she'd never listen, she'd let it fly. Yeah, yeah. So my mom of course grabs her and she's like, Oh, <laughs> you know, we took her sucker away. And so she didn't, she wasn't happy. You know, there's always the explanation. I legit remember walking into that party shell-shocked. I mean, smiled like to the best of my ability, but just went and sat in a corner because I was like, how are you okay? Right. How how did you just flip a switch? That is how we were expected to act all the time, no matter what happened. It was, and that was whether we were going out to somebody's house, whether we were going to church and we just got our soul eaten, you know, in the back back of the car and then we got to walk out and pretend like everything's okay. Hi, how are you? It's, oh, my life is wonderful. Everything's fine. Yes. Thank you. God bless you. Have a good day. You know, if somebody came to our door, if we went somewhere, if somebody asked how we are, we were always fine. Everything was fine. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing I think wrong. a lot of people live like that. I think a God. lot of people live like that. And, um, my, I, you know, I've, I've heard that for a lot, like there's a lot of that and that's a coping mechanism, right? It's like, let's just keep it behind closed doors. Let's just keep, you know, we don't want anyone in our business. We don't, you know, it wasn't how we were because we were so explosive and I was never, ever, 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 ever going to conform to any request ever. But um, <laughs> it was just That's like, so not, yeah, I was just like, <laughs> it just wasn't in the cards. They were like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fucking terrible. How are you? Um, you know, it, it was just not like, I, you know, I'd be like, well, it was, you know, did too many mushrooms last night. And, uh, you know, my parents were like, please don't speak my that was my parent my parents like just stand there just <laughs> don't say just don't say anything please <laughs> oh my god you know but but I do I see a lot of people and I hear about a lot of people living like that and I think that's um that's why authenticity is so um, attractive and, and, and magnetic to people these days, I think. Yeah. Because people seek that they want that and they don't know that they can be that they didn't know mm -hmm. they weren't allowed. And, and so seeing that is giving them permission. And I think there's a lot of a change in that in versus, you know, our generation to this next generation. I mean, we, in my house, we talk about anger a lot and um i we we our our big theme right now is we spend a lot of time talking about um uh 
I still love you when I'm angry with you and you still love me when you're angry with me, that we can still, you know, having that conversation and, and we ask each other, what are your feelings right now? (laughs) You know, it's it's like, you know, um, it's not cute. It's actually really explosive and loud, but (laughs) it, it sounds cute. It sounds cute on a podcast. Like, wow, you guys are really, it's like, what are you feeling right now? Me trying to like hold my shit together. Um, but well, my kid's like, I'm angry and like hit something, but you know, trying to talk about the feelings like we're trying, we are trying to put together, uh, you know, or, or, or create a home where people can, we can identify our feelings and we can talk about them and whether we hand handle them perfectly is, is remains to be seen. But I think that that change that is happening in a lot of places where you ask people, how are you doing? And they say, I'm struggling. This mm-hmm. is difficult. I'm having a hard time. Yeah. I need support, you know, and I think maybe that's, you know, I'm sure that's a lot of California. I I do think that generally authenticity is becoming more, you know, in vogue. I would agree with you. And I, I think it's really great also and very empowering. This is something I had to learn in my adult life, right? Because I feel like the programming growing up and then into my 20s even with with another family that I ended up living with was you are not allowed to identify something as wrong. If I say that it's right, then it's right. And that included behaviors. I know. I, I wish I had some of your chuspa whenever I was growing up. Did I say that right? Chuspa. Some of your yeah, anything. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 no, because it's, because what makes you wonderful is, is all the things that, you know, are you and, and, and uh-huh. your lovely belief in, you know, that you, I'm, you don't want any of that. It causes a whole other set of problems, <laughs> but, but it, it's just a, I, it, I laugh because it's a personality thing, right? Like it's, it's, it's really, you and I could be put in that same situation and the difference is I'd be kicked out and then my story would be, no one would take me or, you know, I'd be like Mary, you know, Jesus and Mary, no, no room at the end. No room at the end. You know, and then <laughs> we were joking about, we were joking earlier about, um, about going door to door when you're pregnant and there's no room at the end. And, and what how, we both would have done. What we both would have done in response to that. Yeah. I, we wouldn't, I, we wouldn't have been humble little Mary. I, I we yeah. definitely would have, Ashley was saying she would have burned the end of the ground. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, you don't let me in. You don't let me in. I'm a burn. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an angry pregnant woman, so it's that's, that's, that's part of it. Um, so I, I, <laughs> where were we saying that? Oh, I think that the the difference in the person personality is just like a different response to the same thing, right? It's like, yeah, I would reject that. They would reject me. It would be a lot of rejection, a lot of yeah. explosive, and you accepted it and like figured out a way to live within it so that you could have your needs met. Right. And I said, I don't have any needs. I don't care what I lose, you know, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing, right? It's just a different, it's just a different reaction. Like I, you know, just my, my reaction was tended to be very explosive. Yeah. uh, That's, that could have helped me in a few situations, but no, you're right. It it was, I mean, it did, it did was, it was effective. It got me some results. It got me some results. It got me some results I really didn't want, but it got me some results I, that, you know, I mean, it definitely, you, we did that, po- I did the podcast earlier with um, Pete and, you know, he was talking about how like, um, 
you know, he he could not when he was around when I was a teenager, he could not understand why my parents could not get control of me. Like yeah, I'm a teenager. That was so interesting. To and hear. all this stuff is going on. And he and 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 that was exactly right. And that was exactly right. He said, you know, you can't drink, blah, blah, blah. And my parents were like, you don't understand. We can't, we're not in control of whether or not she drinks. And that to most parents is insane. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that just shows like, that was just a perfect example of how like, you know, um, it, it, it all of these situations are different and, and we don't have enough information. Yeah. We have to get curious before yeah. we, we really decide what we think we know. Right. Absolutely. And, and judge somebody else's situation. You can, as Pete was saying, so you guys will hear Pete, he's, he's, um, going to come out in a couple of weeks. I think he's really amazing family friend, um, of Ashley's she's known him for a while. So his story is awesome. Um, but he was talking about just, you know, Ashley being allowed to drink and, and he had to finally put his foot down because he was choosing to get sober. And whenever the family would come over, Ashley would drink. And he's like, I can't have that. I'm sorry. I can't have that happening in my house. So he had to set his own boundaries. Um, but you know, he was really honest about some of the things that he felt and, and it sounded like even frustrations with your parents' decisions, but, but like Peter, you know, your dad has explained in episode eight, I mean, what in the heck are you supposed to do with a kid who, if you tell them no, or you're, you, you, you try and stop a certain behavior, you know, they'll be out on the street. You don't know if they're alive or dead. What's the decision? The decision that they made was we'd rather our kid be alive and be closer to us because we can at least monitor that and make sure that she's alive and okay. I can't say I wouldn't have done the same thing. You know, it's, it's, it's your kid. I mean, at the end of the day, some people would have, you know, sent me away sooner. Uh, that was, you know, some people would have locked me up. I mean, you also have, I also had three other kids I also had three other kids. My parents also had two other children there. I was one of three, um, you know, that the world is complex. The, um, you know, situations are complex. Parenting is complex and, you know, even for your parents, even as, you know, as crazy as that may seem, you know, there was some calculation for them that it was more important to, you know, if everything was a disaster in your home all the time and your parents were always fighting, imagine if they acted on that. You would have never gone anywhere. You would have never had any friends. You would have never had any community or any exposure to anything. You just would have been in that shitty situation listening to that all the time if you didn't pretend that things were better than they were, right? Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes, you know, like there are these calibrations that we all make and they're not perfect and, and, and each person can look at it quite differently. But, you know, I think when you are a parent, you are, and, and whether, I guess, whether or not you're a parent, but you, you're in any kind of relationship, you are making, you know, you're making calculations about what is worth what and, and, and how to proceed. And, and they're just, you know, sometimes I, I know my, with my parents and my situation that, you know, you, you have, you know, as my dad always says, you have very little time to make incredibly lifelong 
lasting, affecting decisions, right? You have moments sometimes, moments, and you have no time to think about them. They are uh, life-changing and you have to make them in the moment. You don't get to go away and think about it. And those that 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 is hard on anyone right and yeah. um i i i have a lot more compassion for those situations now you know my dad and i were talking about even um we were talking about you know when i was molested as a kid and mm. he, and we were talking about and he was saying how like i was i was 5 and i demanded to go and play we lived in a cul-de-sac we lived on the harvard divinity school campus um, like, you know, I, I was praying with yeah. the, playing with the priest kid and then they were all like, you know, a year or, you know, up older than me. And we were playing outside, you know, and these were small calibrations, you know, that my parents made and I wanted to go play and, you know, neighborhood kids and whatever. And so, you know, I think, uh, when we were talking about how, like, and my mom was pregnant and there were two other kids, you know, it's like. And I just put myself in those shoes, you know, and, and I know I have, I have a little me and I know what that, what that converse, how that conversation would go when he wants to go play with his friends. And, you know, I I really believe that is that the majority of us are just truly doing the best that we can. And Mm -hmm. when we look back at it and we, we see that, you know, we're all trained by the people that came before us who were also doing the best that they could. And, you know, there's just gotta be, if, if I want grace with my parenting, if I want grace, I, I I need to give that too. And, um, and there's just a lot, uh, you know, in all of these situations, you know, bringing it back to Danielle, even bringing it back to Kevin Barheights episode, you know, his mother abandoning him. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it is hard to be a person and have a marriage and, you know, uh, be a taxpayer and all of the things that go on for you while also trying to be the center of someone's world. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And, and they're, they're beacon of, of learning and, you know, it's, it is, it is a tall order and we are, fallible human beings and we are afraid and we are also only equipped typically with what our parents gave us. Yeah. And uh, you know, that that leaves a lot of room for a lot of fuck ups. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a really good point too, because I've definitely had to I can I can look back and see how even with conversations with both my parents they've really done the best that they could you know with what they were given to I mean and, and they they married the best like you know you're like they you mentioned like they shouldn't have gotten married and it's like no they that, shouldn't right and and you're probably right but at the time they didn't know that and and so then they're married right then you you you're married and you married a person and now you find out that you probably shouldn't have been married but you have three kids yeah. and you have, you, you know, you have this life that you built together and it, and, and one person leaving would be really traumatic and difficult. And, you know, it's, I I just see it. There's so many, it's just so not straightforward. And I think we love to paint things in black and white because that makes it so much easier. 
And I really believe that the majority of people are doing the best they could they can at the time. And many of them, the best they can is terrible. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, like I'm not saying it's not, you know, that what they're the best that their best isn't atrocious. I'm just saying yeah. that may be their best at the time. And, you know, uh it it makes you it may it, you know, for me, it makes me think harder about, um, you know, being authentic, talking about all these things, the importance of talking about them, and just really, you know, pouring more compassion and empathy and love and understanding into, I'm apparently a 16-year-old boy and my voice is cracking, (laughs) and understanding into the world because, um, you know, the more stories I hear and the more I talk to people, the more I see that. Yeah. And the more we could all use it. Definitely. Um, well, let's jump to Kevin real quickly before we we wrap up because we definitely want to highlight his story. And like you'd mentioned, Kevin, episode 86, he's an adoptee. Um, his mother abandoned him at birth. And uh, he actually wrote a wonderful book about it called Dear Stephen Michael's Mother. And he talks about even just the search for his birth mom, um, you know, growing up in in the the home that he grew up in um, with two parents that, you know, told him that they they loved him and they he was born in their heart. And and um, but we, as he as he mentions in the podcast, he definitely had addiction running through his his bones, you know, from from his genes. And gosh, the stuff that he got caught up in at such a young age, it's like, it just broke my heart. I mean, he was removed from his adoptive parents' home because his father had fallen very ill and just wasn't able to keep up with his teenage antics, so to speak, Mm -hmm. wasn't able to just, just deal with it. And, and, and so he had a parole officer, a PO, um, or probation officer, sorry, come take him. And he got placed in foster homes and would run away and ended up living on the streets and got very heavy into drugs and alcohol, um, started prostituting for drugs and alcohol. Am I missing anything? I mean, this story is just heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, it, the, well, the, you're missing the part where he gets better, but I mean, he, he, right. um, well, and, and he, there was, um, there was, a, you know, he and I talked about this, there was a sexual abuse when he was a boy and, um, yes. you know, we talked about like maybe if he had been just abandoned and just adopted or maybe he, you know, if he had been abused, but not adopted or maybe, you know, like, but the, the, the coalescence of all those things made his, trajectory pretty, you know, clear. Um, but I think, you know, he speaks to, you know, uh, he speaks to this, the population of adopted children, which is a a very large population in the recovery community. There is, there's something to that, right? Mm -hmm. There is something there. And that's a very painful part of people's lives that many, that those of us who have not been adopted struggle to understand. And I think that it's so valuable that people are coming out and talking about it and talking about what support can look like and giving people, giving adoptees a place to talk about all the things that come along with that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the difficulty of like why, you know, rejection and, and, um, you know, the primal wound is a book that was written about it. And, you know, I think 
again, go, kind of going back to our other conversation, like for me, my thought is what on earth happened to a woman that would lead her to give up her child? Like that is yeah. so against nature, right? Like yeah. it is so unnatural for someone to do that. They must be in the grips of something greater than anything I could imagine. And yeah. that is kind of my thinking around a lot of those situations. Like there right. is so much going on. You know, I don't, I don't even think that's the case with, you know, giving someone up for adoption. I think that's, there's like a, a, a much more um, gentle way when people are like, but to abandon a baby. Um, right. I think that, that piece of it, I think the, I can't even imagine what must be happening for that person. And, and then what haunts that child. Um, mm -hmm. And, and he talks a lot about that. And, it's it's really incredible that he was able to get sober given everything that he has been through. I mean, it really, it's truly remarkable. And he does so much work uh, with people who have been through, um, you know, traumatic adoption experiences and then struggled yeah. with substance abuse. And I think that's such a need, um, you know, for me, what I really value in a story like that is I think about the people who are listening, who wonder to themselves when they pass someone on the street, how did you screw up your life so badly that you're standing here on the corner begging for food and money? Mm -hmm. Or or why don't you just get a job? Or why don't or all the things the things that any of us sometimes run through our heads when we yeah. see things, right? Or we, we're disgusted by encampments or we whatever it, whatever it is. It happen everybody, it happens to everybody. It doesn't matter how compassionate you are. We all sometimes, yeah. you know, kind of go there like, you know, well, I work for a living and you know, whatever. And um, and I think it takes people telling that story takes people down the road of how the fuck. Does someone get to that place? And you can yeah. insert, you know, you can go to, you know, downtown LA or, or or San Francisco or whatever it is, and you can see what that looks like, what it would have, what he would have looked like, and you you get to hear how that happens, right? Yeah. And and again, it just comes back to that compassion place of like people are suffering, people make decisions, mm -hmm. and about trying to make themselves feel better and that's how they get there. Yeah. Like that's that's what's going on. And and Kevin was a perfect example of that. He just he walked us through abandoned at birth, you know, adopted and trauma in, you know, sexual trauma and adopted uh you know, uh then going, you know, dad getting sick and getting involved with drugs and alcohol and then taken out of the home and then, you know, these group homes and, you know, running away, running away, running away, being, you know, abused in homes, in foster homes oh, yeah. and running away, running away, running away, homeless. Right. Yeah. And, and then you're homeless and all the things that go, all the traumatic things that go along with being homeless and with getting drugs and whatever and all that stuff. And then you're there and then they're there. And then that's, then you're there, right? Then you're that person. And I really think it's important for people to hear how that person got there, 
I really mm-hmm. do. I think that's, you know, it's a really big piece of why I want people to tell their stories here is yeah. I want the people who are like, how does someone get there? How does that happen? And I want them to hear how that happens because it's not unthinkable. It's not it's not crazy. It's not a leap. It makes sense. And sometimes it can quite literally just be someone's just fallen on really hard times and it just was two strokes to get there. That's I've talked with a lot of people who are in homeless shelters who are just like, I could have never, ever seen this coming. Yeah. Um, which is, but, but when you play it back, heart rending, you know, you play it back, right. You play, you go, you go back 10 decisions or right. 10 or 10 circumstances. And then you're like, Oh, Oh, right. You know? Um, and I, you know, again, I guess, I guess I'm like, my theme for this is just like coming back to that place of compassion. Like, man, before, before you decide, you know, or before you judge, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much more to people than, than, you know, what, what meets the eye and, and hearing about that and, and hearing these stories and hearing the stories of people overcoming these things, you know, brings me a lot of hope and gives me a lot of perspective. Yeah. And that's a that's a good thing I think to leave our listeners on is it's just an awesome reminder to be compassionate and to give the person next to you some grace today or this week. Um, I know I am offender number one. I am so irritated by having to go out and you know just all the the pomp and circumstance that we have to go through right now, right? With like you bring your own bags, you have to bag your own bag, you know, all these first world problems, obviously, you know, but, but with living in a pandemic, it can get, it can get frustrating, just frustrating having to do all these extra steps, you know, to make sure that we're safe. And, and I'm, I'm not against that at all. Right. I'm, I'm just quite simply saying that it, it just is frustrating. It's just like, God, I forget, I forget, you leave, you forget your mask. It's like, damn it, you know, turning around, having, you know, you just lost 10 minutes there and you've got to get back to work or whatever else, grabbing your own bags and you've got to bag your own bag. It's like, why is everything so complicated now? But, um, and it's made me lose patience with people. I haven't chewed anyone out, thank goodness. But <laughs> quite a feat being pregnant, but you know, it's, it's a, what you're leaving us with is just that good reminder to take a deep breath and to understand that if I'm feeling that way, the people behind me next to me, six feet away, but still behind or next to me, um, are feeling the same way as well. And so, you know, just smile with my eyes through my mask and, <laughs> you know, yeah. just give people, give people some grace. Even sometimes someone will cut me off and I'm like, Rah! you know, and my husband will even go, babe, you don't know what's happening in their life. You, you well, just that's, right, like, like everybody's, everybody's battling something, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's, you know, and again, that doesn't mean that you should be taken advantage or victimized by anyone, but it, no, no, it, no. it is, yeah, it is, it is a reminder, um, an important thing to remember. I do want to end on one thing. Um, okay. so, uh, my friend, Mike Collins, who is episode something, um, he, oh, is, I'm not going to remember this. Mike Collins, he's the guy I interviewed who runs sugaraddiction.com and he is an expert. Um, 62? I think I'm wrong though. Michael Michael Collins. He is a chairman of the board of the Food Addiction Institute and he's just an, a, an absolutely incredible guy. Talks about, if you've listened to that episode, talks about um, sugar addiction and, and just the absolute havoc it uh, causes in our minds and bodies. 
they are running a challenge. Oh my um, God, I was right. I'm sorry. He's wow. episode 62. I did not weird. think I was right. That's very weird. Impressive. I think um, that was a lucky guess. So if you go to sugaraddiction.com, they're running a challenge and it's the challenge. Um, I'm going to be doing sugar-free January and the challenge is um, there's another podcast, a sober podcast, Angela Pugh, who is doing um, all of her listeners are doing uh, sugar-free January. You can go, um, you can just do sugar-free January and tell us about it, or you can go sugaraddiction.com and go to 30, uh, 30 day challenge sugar-free in just one month. And you click on 30 day challenge and, um, it, it Michael Collins walks you through this chat, you know, what, how to detox from sugar, what that's like. And, and there's a community and anyway, a lot of us are doing it. I highly suggest you guys check it out. Um, you can go to sugaraddiction.com and the 30 day challenge also, um, on Instagram, there's sugar underscore free underscore man. Um, that is the Instagram. So you can check that out for more information. We're going to be talking a bit about uh, the effects of sugar. And I really, really, really am encouraging people to for January to um, take a little break from uh, processed sugar and see what that's like. So anyway. That's my that's my sh- my spiel. I love the spiel, and we'll include those links in the show notes as well. So if you'd like to look up more information, then please do so. Um, again, Michael Collins is episode sixty-two. You can listen to him, the relationship between sugar addiction and substance abuse. Um, yeah, the, it, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, I will probably be partaking in a sugar detox after I have this baby. Um, and I will be cheering you all on in January because, uh, cookies have been my heart and I am not nauseous when I eat them. So, um, but do it. <laughs> there you go. If, if I was not pregnant currently, um, yeah, if I was not pregnant currently, I would definitely be doing it. It's like I said, whatever I can eat right now I'm eating. But that what an awesome challenge. And in Ash, you've done um you've gone sugar and wheat free or sugar flour sour. free. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Uh well, I'm not on it right this second, but when I ha- when I am on it, I feel amazing. And then when I fall off of it, I feel like shit. Very interesting. <laughs> very, very interesting. Well, I'm excited to hear about this and I'm excited to be able to follow this challenge. I think I love you hear so much about dry January, but you haven't heard about sugar free yeah. January. So this is really it's, exciting. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like dry or, or sober October or that kind of thing. Yeah, love it. Cool. Thank you for the spiel. That's an important one. Um, well, I think that's it. It's another after the episode. That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. All right. Well, peace and love to everybody. Uh, remember to give your neighbor some grace and we will see you next week for mm-hmm. next Tuesday for an amazing, awesome, possum interview episode. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. 
find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life. 